Heavenly Father, we want to thank you tonight for being our teacher. And Lord, we pray that you would uh, prepare our hearts now to receive your word and and our, our minds, Father, that they would be open to the things of the Spirit. Lord, that... Uh, that we might see the uh, the truth of things that are not seen, that we would understand with our hearts and 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 believe and believing, we would have the power to live these truths according to your glory, according to your purpose, according to your grace. We pray these things in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter eight. Yeah, see if those will work for you. Is that better? All right. All right, Romans chapter 8. Let's begin reading with... Um, oh, verse, back up to verse 18. We'll get a little bit of a review. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Okay, we um, we got the better part of that passage last week, and and even some the week before. We were talking about suffering, uh, suffering with Christ, and how that uh, how that connects to our uh, to our life now and to our. Um, Inheritance, uh, Paul says that we are joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, in verse 17. And uh, last week we focused um, on, the, uh, on the creation and the things that Paul talks about here, that the, the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And the, um, among other things, the answer to the question, uh, why do bad things happen to good people, is, uh, is found in this passage. Um, we, talked about, uh, we talked about a lot of different aspects of the, of the bondage of the creation that it's in, uh, what happened, how it got there, the state that it's in now, and the, uh, the state that it's, that it's headed toward out of this passage. But the... Um, the answer to a, to a very basic question that people will ask you when they find out you're a Christian, you believe in God, uh, uh, why do all these horrible things happen to people who, who apparently don't deserve it? Well, the answer to that question is here in this passage in Romans chapter 8. The fact is that the whole creation is under the, uh, under the bondage of corruption. And the whole creation groans and travails in pain uh, together. And the um, 
things happen uh, tornadoes and, and, and hurricanes and earthquakes and volcanoes and, and fires and floods and <laughs> all sorts of uh, uh, things all of that is the creation groaning and travailing in pain if you've ever seen a uh, uh, if you've ever seen a volcano erupt that's not the the uh, that's not the intended state of the planet. You know, you see, you you see those kinds of things happening, uh, uh, hurricanes and earthquakes and all those things, and and people will tell you, uh, well, that's that's normal. That kind of thing happens because we live in a in a, uh, uh, a geologically active planet. You don't you don't get those kind of things up on the moon. It's just a dead rock up there. It's not it's not geologically active. You don't have all of these tectonic plates moving around and smashing into each other and causing earthquakes and and volcanoes, you know, spewing lava and and those kind of things. It's because the planet is geologically active. Well, the reason the planet is geologically active is because it's under a curse that uh, that causes it to uh, to shake and to tremor and to and to 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 react in these violent ways and to uh, to to vomit uh, its innards in uh, in volcanoes and those kinds of things. Listen, the, the, those kind of things are normal because that's all we know. But the fact is, the only reason they're normal is because the planet is under the curse of sin and it and it. It, it lives a violent existence. Those things are not going to be normal in the new heaven and the new earth. We looked at that last week. They will not hurt nor destroy in all of my holy mountain, and, and animals won't uh, hunt each other. And we talked last week about how animals uh, in the wild live their entire lives in fear. If you, you watch a wild animal, and they are constantly, uh, they can't rest from moving and looking and, and, and jerking every little noise, every little twig, or every little leaf that rustles, they, they think that uh, this is their last moment on earth. That's how they live. That's how the, that's how the creature, the creation exists right now. It's under, it's under the constant uh, fear of, of uh, suffering some sort of violence. You know, I have a, uh, we have cats that, that, Run kind of wild in in my area, um, and uh, and I've got a little pond outside my door, outside my house, and that was there when we moved in. And the birds come, and they like to come by the water. And every once in a while, I'll walk out my door, and there will be a dead bird there uh, in the uh, you know by the pond. And for the first little while, first couple of them I found, and. Um, you know, well, it's kind of disappointing because you, you look out the window and we've got trees out there and you see a, a, a cardinal or something and you go, hey, we got a cardinal, you know. And uh, the next day you go out there and the cardinal's laying, laying dead by the, by the pond. And it took me a little while, first couple of birds, there's a dead bird. Okay, well, you know, scoop them up, take them, dispose of them, give them a proper burial in the, in the trash can outside, out on the side there. And... Um, Okay, a bird died, and birds die. They got to die somewhere. He died on my. Well, eventually, I realized that it's the cats that are that are that are getting these birds. But here's the thing: the reason the reason I never realized that at first, I had to kind of deduce it, was because there's nothing wrong with the bird. The bird's not eaten. 
he's not uh, he's not really marked in any way. I suppose if I you know looked at him real close, I'd see where that where the cat killed it. But by all appearances, that bird looks just the way he did when he was alive, except he's dead. So what that means is that the cat saw the bird alive, flapping its wings, playing in the water, whatever it was doing, and it something in that cat just could not abide that living bird. He wasn't any threat to it. It wasn't threatening its its young. It wasn't threatening its existence. It wasn't eating its food. It wasn't a physical threat to it. So the cat, you know, did what cats do. Stalked it, crept up on it, pounced on it, and killed it. Now, it didn't eat it. It wasn't hungry. It didn't do it for food. It didn't do it for... Uh, any reason apparently it did it's not because it didn't like the way the bird looked because the bird looks exactly the same when it's dead as it did when it's alive it's not its appearance has not changed it's not like the cat tore it apart because it didn't like the way it looked the only difference in that bird between when the cat saw it and just couldn't stand its existence and when the cat walked away happy and satisfied was that the life was gone. The bird was dead. So something in that cat has to snuff out life. Just is compelled to kill for no other reason than to kill. So the the creation and that kind of thing goes on in the wild all the time so the creation is uh, is under this curse that um, it Paul says is waiting to be delivered from he says in verse 21 because the creature itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. And he says in verse 20 that the creation has an earnest expectation and a hope to be delivered from that kind of um, from that kind of bondage, that kind of corruption. The creation uh, seeks death. It, it, it wants to follow death as its natural state. Um, who was it? Was it uh, was it Newton that uh, that that talked about the law of entropy? That or whoever it was that all things are decaying, all things are dying. The natural course of things is downward. It is not toward order. It's the other way. It's toward chaos. Regardless of what Darwin would like for you to believe, that things start in the in the uh, in the puddle and and evolve better and better and better. The fact of the matter is that it's going the other way. We started in paradise, and uh, and it is devolving uh, down, down, down. So the uh, the reason why do bad things happen to good birds, right? The same thing, the same reason why bad things happen to apparently good people, because things happen, and the creation is violent, 
and there is disease and there is pain and there is death and there are earthquakes and there are hurricanes and there are tornadoes and when a tornado jumps over this house and it jumps over that house and it hits that one doesn't mean that that house did anything wrong that the other two didn't it just is the state of this world so Paul says that when the purpose of God comes to fruition for the children of God the sons of God you and me that we have the first fruits of what God is doing. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. Um, what God is going to do in creation, in, in fixing that whole situation, He has begun to do already with you and me. So that when our uh, fullness comes, the rest of creation then comes along with it and because of it. And the creature itself is going to be delivered into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Our liberty becomes its liberty. Um, so in the meantime, we groan and travail. Me and Bob were just talking about this a couple minutes ago. In these, uh, in these bodies, um, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. You and I are, uh, we're not looking for, um, for healing, uh, piecemeal, the way that they did in, uh, when Jesus was here and, and in the, uh, in the years following, when, uh, someone could just lay hands on you and fix whatever particular problem was wrong with you. Today, what we are doing is we're waiting for a, a total healing program. We're not, we're not just looking for one, uh, disease or one, you know, if I'm, if I'm blind, uh, you can lay hands on me and cause me to see again. Well, that's fantastic. What about all the other problems? The fact is that God has a total healing program going today, and it's going to take place at the adoption to it, the redemption of our body. When we drop this old man altogether, this flesh, and take on our glorified bodies. And there won't be any more uh, groaning and travailing in pain. Now Paul says, and we got that far last time, verse 24, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? Now that, that's an interesting statement, Paul says there. We, we talk a lot about being saved, uh, and we talk about being saved by faith, and we talk about being saved by grace. Here Paul says we're saved by hope. And we've seen already in the book of Romans that uh, the idea of being saved is not always uh, eternal salvation from your sins. And this is one of those cases that is not that. Paul's not talking about being saved uh, from your sins. He's talking about being saved from what he was just talking about. In the context, the salvation there is the, um, is the agony of being part of this sin-cursed creation. Now, we are saved from, from that. Here, come to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We are saved from despair. We are saved from uh, 
from the 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 mental uh, agony and the and the stress and the frustration and all of those things from that come with living in a uh, a sin cursed state. First Thessalonians chapter four. Paul talks about the rapture here, which is the adoption to wit the redemption of our body in Romans eight, and he says. Um, Verse 13, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Now that's, he's talking about people who have died. That you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. And he goes on to tell you about the rapture, how we're all going to get caught up uh, one day. What I want you to see there is that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. See, that's what Paul's talking about in Romans 8 when he says we are saved by hope. Look at, uh, look at Hebrews chapter 11. We are, uh, we Christians, and, we, and last week we talked about the fact that we are no different from the rest of the world when it comes to suffering the, uh, the common sufferings of life. Uh, we don't get spared the, uh, that, that groaning and travailing. Paul says, even we ourselves groan with the rest of creation. We, we're not uh, uh, privileged in that physical sense just because we are the people of God. Now, it hasn't always been that way. But remember, Paul is talking about uh, some dispensational issues in that passage when he says, the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. He's talking about the fact that the uh, the restoration that's going to come in the future that was supposed to come when the Messiah came didn't happen because the Messiah was rejected and the Lord um, began this dispensation of the grace of God. And because that kingdom and that new heaven and new earth has not come in, therefore the whole creation groans and travails in pain together still. So the uh, the fact of the matter is that you and I are not we don't have that uh, that healing program going on, and we don't have a situation where we can pray our our uh, pains away. So so we are no different from the unsaved world when it comes to the the things that come upon us where we're different is that we are saved by hope. That we don't have to sorrow as others who have no hope. When the, uh, when the bondage of corruption shows itself like when a loved one dies. Or when uh, pain uh, comes into my life in any form, physical or, or, or otherwise. We have hope. And because we have hope, that hope saves us. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And that's what we're talking about. Hope that is, Paul says, hope that we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. So, 
He's talking about things that aren't seen. And here in Hebrews chapter 11, the writer says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now there's, there's two, um, two aspects to, to faith that are laid out here in that verse in Hebrews 11.1. 1. And faith is split kind of into two categories. There is, uh, there is faith, and then there is hope. And hope is a part of faith. And the difference is that when he says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, what hope is, is hope is faith in a future reality. Hope is faith in something that does not yet exist. So we, we hope for things that are yet future. It's a forward-looking word. So when you talk about hope, you're talking about faith in something that hasn't happened yet. So, so it says there that faith is the substance of things hoped for, because something hoped for doesn't exist yet. It has no substance. It's future. And because of that, what we have today to hold on to with regard to that future reality that doesn't exist yet, the substance that we have now is faith. And that particular part of faith that's forward-looking we call hope. So that hope is what we have now that connects us to that, to that future reality. So we are saved by hope. And the rest of that is the evidence of things not seen. Now that's things that exist now, but you just can't see them. They're invisible. So there's those two aspects of it. You've got all kind of things that you have faith in that exist today, like God, but you can't see. So faith is the evidence of things not seen. Then there's all kind of things that don't even exist today that are future. And that's hope. And faith is the substance of those things. It's the thing that you have now, today. So, when we suffer, when those groanings and travailings in pain occur, the cure, the salvation for you and me is hope. Is to actively, by faith, Look forward to that glory, to that adoption, to that redemption, to that time when there will be no more uh, suffering, and let hope be the substance that you hang on to today. And our salvation comes by hope in the midst of this sin-cursed creation. We are saved from the sorrow that others are not. So, back in Romans 8. So, Paul says, sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. That doesn't mean that we never sorrow. It means we don't sorrow like them. Paul says, the sorrow of the world worketh death. Hope works salvation. So it doesn't mean that we're never sad. It doesn't mean that we never sorrow. It doesn't mean we don't grieve when a loved one dies. But we don't despair. We don't, uh, we don't lose, uh, lose heart and lose hope and our spirit is not broken. We're saved from those things. We are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? 
But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. So we need to, we need to get uh, accustomed to and get practiced at uh, living on the basis of things that are not seen in this age, in this dispensation. Paul says we walk by faith, not by sight. If, if, if you and I have trouble uh, living our lives, making our decisions, taking our attitudes, um, uh, holding our joy based on things that are not seen, we're going to have trouble in this, uh, in this Christian life overall. You've got to be able to, uh, to walk and uh, a, a path that is not physically visible. And when things happen around you, the things that are seen, we must and we need to uh, practice and be learned, be instructed in looking beyond the things that we can see, that is the things that come upon us uh, in this life, looking beyond those and focusing on the things that are not seen. We... we can't walk this Christian walk and live this Christian life without that spiritual skill. We need to. You ever you ever take a take a picture with a with a, a manual focus camera? You know how to get the stuff that's that's close up out of focus so that you can focus on the thing behind there. That's what we need to do. We need to get our to get the uh, to get the lens of our faith into that far away focus and we need to keep it there and that's a skill it's a spiritual discipline it's a matter of growth and of experience that's why Paul says back in chapter 5 come back there with me Romans chapter 5 therefore being justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. So that's the... the uh, the, the same idea there is that um, is that we hope in that in that glory that he's talking about in chapter eight, and because of that we are able to rejoice in tribulation because tribulation works experience, and experience works patience, and patience works more hope, and we are saved by hope. So now we've we've spent the better time of the last two weeks talking about this issue because. It is a, uh, a number one of, of a primary issue in anybody's life, the sufferings that come upon us, never mind the sufferings uh, um, that we bring upon ourselves specifically by our obedience, persecution and, and, and ostracization and, and all of those things. We talked about that too. 
but the but the pains and the sufferings of this life are uh, kind of loom loom large. I mean, they're a big part of our life. We need to know how to deal with it. Number two, because these sufferings and knowing how to deal with them are a are a large part of of what God is doing to bring us along in this Christian life and our on our way towards glory. And the uh, being joint heir with Christ is connected to our response to this suffering. Paul says we're joint heirs with Christ if we suffer with him. We've talked about all that. So that's why we, we've spent as much time on it as, as we have. Because it is a big deal. How do I handle suffering? If I don't handle it well, that's a large part of what I'm doing here. So you want to uh, practice this practice, work on this spiritual skill and, and, and discipline in honing your faith and your hope and learning how to live and walk and think on that basis. So moving on now, uh, we're saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. We all have to wait for it, right? The issue is waiting for it with patience. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself uh, maketh intercessions for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Okay, now, Paul says, he says, this, uh, likewise the Spirit also. Now what he's talking about there is he started talking about the Spirit back up in uh, verse 14. Uh, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Uh, and you have not received the spirit of bondage again. Uh, verse 16, the Spirit itself beareth witness. He's talking about the things that the Spirit does. And now he's going to talk about another one. So he says, likewise, also the Spirit, another thing that the Spirit does, is it helps our infirmities, those, those groanings and travailings and, and things that, that he just talked about. How does, he, how does it do that? Or why does it do that? It says, For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, number one, we know not what, to, what we should pray for as we ought. Now, come with me to, to uh, hold here. And come First John chapter 5. Take a look at that for a minute. And I want you to see that this is a different situation than things have been uh, in the past. And this idea of not knowing what we should pray for as we ought is a um, gets to be kind of a sticking point sometimes. Do you know what you ought to pray for? Paul says we don't. So you say, well, if I don't know what I ought to pray for, then what is the point of praying? The point of praying, Paul says, is that when we pray, the Spirit 
makes intercession for us. We don't know what we should pray for as we ought, so we pray the best we know how. But we pray with confidence. Not confidence in myself, in my own prayer, but confidence in God that He has given me the provision of the Holy Spirit to make intercession for me on my behalf according to the will of God. Now, he does that in the passage with groanings which cannot be uttered, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But the whole idea of not knowing what to pray for as we ought. Um, Number one, what that means is, if I have some kind of a... And he's talking about my infirmities. The Spirit helps our infirmities. If I've got some sort of an infirmity, some sort of a physical ailment, do I know whether it's better for me to have that thing or to not have that thing? I can tell you what I, what I think and what my preference would be. But do I know whether, I should, whether it's better for me to have that or not to have it? No, I don't. Do I know for somebody else what's better, what's not? Do I know what I should pray for? No, I don't. So again, why pray? The only confidence that we have is this ministry of the Holy Spirit that makes intercession on our behalf as we pray. And that's what he's, Paul's talking about, us praying. It's not something that just happens automatically. This is something that the Holy Spirit does as we pray. He is praying on our behalf. And He makes intercession for us perfectly according to the will of God. First John chapter 5, um, verse 14, And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And we know that he, uh, and if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we shall have the petitions that we desired of him. Now, that is a very different situation than what Paul describes in Romans chapter eight, isn't it? John has this confidence that I can pray according to the will of God with my own understanding. Now, of course, that is the understanding that God gave to these folks. They knew that they could pray in confidence according to the will of God. What does Paul say? Paul says that we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit prays according to the will of God. So what the Holy Spirit was doing for these folks in their conscious understanding that is enabling them to, to, to pray according to the Spirit and according to the will of God. The Spirit doesn't do that for us today. What it does is it does the same ministry. The Holy Spirit is interceding for these folks just like He does for us, except that for them He's doing it through their understanding and out their mouth. For you and me... God leaves us without the understanding. Why? Because we walk by faith and not by sight. So we are left to, with the confidence, not that the words that I'm speaking are according to God's will, 
or that this is exactly what He would have me to pray. But I pray with the confidence that the Holy Spirit is praying within me according to God's perfect will. I can't hear it. I can't feel it. Because this is a dispensation of faith and not of sight. So here again, can I pray with confidence? Absolutely, I do. More so. But can I, do I, do I understand always what the, what the perfect uh, uh, will of God is in every situation? No, I don't. But God does. Now come, come back with me again to, uh, to Romans chapter 8. So, so that's a different situation. And the difference is, again, that the physical factor, the sight, in this case, the, the, the sound, to hear the words audibly coming out of your mouth, that's taken away. Because we don't walk that way. We don't live that way. We walk by faith. Our confidence is in the Word of God telling us that the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us uh, perfectly. Look in, um, you're in chapter 8. Look in chapter 15, Romans 15. You say, I don't know about my prayers. Does God, is God happy with my prayers? I'm not, I'm, I'm not really that good a prayer. And I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think my prayers are all that, I'm not eloquent, I don't, you know, I don't know the words to say, all of that kind of thing. Listen, you can forget about all of that. Does God hear your prayers? Yes, God hears your prayers because the Holy Spirit is interceding for you. And He does it perfectly. And just like God sees you perfect in Christ, He hears your prayers perfectly through the Holy Spirit. So you don't have to worry that, uh, that your prayers are not good enough for God. Ever. God tells us to pray. So we pray. Leave the rest to Him. Uh, Romans chapter 15, Paul says, verse uh, 16, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. So are your prayers acceptable? Yes, they are. They are sanctified by the Holy Ghost. So when we pray, it is the Spirit of God whose, whose utterances are coming into the ears of the Father. So never uh, hesitate to pray. And don't stumble and fumble over your prayers. He that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. And if you can't come up with just the right way to say what you mean, God knows what you mean. He, he knows what you mean better than, than you know what you mean. Uh, you pray with your heart. And you pray uh, in the Spirit. Now, let's talk about that. Back in chapter 8. First of all, this idea of the Spirit making intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Hold Romans chapter 8, get Acts chapter 2, and let's get an issue settled here. Because people will read this passage and they'll say, well, that's praying in tongues. The Holy Spirit makes intercession for me with groanings which cannot be uttered. That's, uh, you know, I don't know how to, how to pray. So the Holy Spirit comes in and he, and he takes over with another language. And, uh, and, and all I know is I'm babbling some stuff. And the Holy Spirit is praying uh, according to the will of God. Well, let's 
take a look at, at that verse compared with here in Acts where that actually happened, and then let's uh, let's dispense with that silliness. Um, Acts chapter two. I'll be glad one day when I get those new eyes. Acts chapter two. Um, they're in the uh, they're in the upper room here. It's on the day of Pentecost. Verse uh, there there comes the the sound from heaven like a rushing mighty wind. Verse four. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Okay. Acts chapter two verse four. With Romans chapter 8, verse 26, compare those two verses together and get the idea, uh, uh, be gone with the idea that Romans 8 is talking about speaking in tongues. Do you see the difference between those two verses before I point it out to you? Do you see the difference between speaking as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance and groanings which cannot be uttered? Do you see the difference between those two things? What happened in Acts is that the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. That's what we read in 1 John. He, now, 1 John, he's not talking about speaking in tongues, but he's talking about uttering, speaking things out of your mouth according to the perfect will of God by the Holy Spirit. That's what they were doing in Acts chapter 2, just in another language. They spake as the Spirit gave them utterance. What Paul is talking about here in Romans chapter 8 is he's talking, he says, The Spirit maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Do you see that that's different than Acts chapter 2? The difference between the Holy Spirit giving them utterance and groanings which cannot be uttered. These are not audible uh, uh, things. This is not speaking with another tongue. This is not... Uh, um, any of those kind of things. It's a silent uh, intercession of the Holy Spirit. Groanings which cannot be uttered is, is the equivalent to the, the verses that we looked at already of something being done without hands. The idea of it being... It's, this, is, this is intercession that's not coming through the lips. It's groanings which cannot be uttered. It's a, it's a spiritual operation. Of God, that's the whole idea between that behind that phrase that it can't be uttered. So the Holy Spirit is making intercession for us uh, silently, as opposed to giving us utterance the way that He did for those folks. Paul says we don't know what to pray for as we are because we don't have the Holy Spirit giving us utterance. We have Him praying for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Paul says, you know, I, I, I knew a man caught up to the third heaven and he, and he, he heard words that it was, that it was uh, unlawful to utter. Groanings which, which cannot be uttered. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit is speaking with the Father um, directly on our behalf. Now, I'm out of time. Praying in the Spirit. Here. Get um, get Ephesians chapter six, and let's talk about praying in the Spirit. And get First Corinthians chapter fourteen, and let's take a look at praying with the Spirit, and see the difference between those two things.
What Paul is talking about in uh, in Romans 8 is the mechanics of how prayer works today. You and I, uh, because we have an infirmity, we have a lack, we don't, under, we don't know what we should pray for as we ought. We don't have that gift of knowledge that, uh, that those folks had back there that gives us a excuse me, a conscience understanding of, of God's will. Uh, what we do have is we have the inner working of the Holy Spirit who makes intercession silently for us as we pray. Um, now, that's the mechanics of it. When you pray, that's what happens, and that's how your prayers get heard. Because you know as well as I do that you and I, we don't approach and have access to the throne of God by any means outside of His, uh, His grace and intervention. We could not stand before God if it, if it were not for uh, Him seeing Christ rather than us. And we could not speak to God if it were not for Him hearing the Holy Spirit uh, when we speak. So we understand how that works. Um, now, praying in the Spirit, Ephesians chapter 6, verse, uh, verse 18, after Paul talks about the armor of God, he says, "...praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints." So we are supposed to pray in the Spirit. Now, in that verse, and in many others, Paul doesn't say, well, we don't know what we should pray for as we ought, as if uh, we ought not pray consciously. He says, here's some things I want you to pray for. I want you to pray uh, for all saints, verse 19, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, the, uh, and, he, and he tells you some specific things. In other passages he tells you, I would therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for these things are good and acceptable unto God, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto a knowledge of the truth. So, so Paul gives us a lot of different things to pray for with our understanding. And when I'm praying those things, I know what to pray for as I ought. What Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 8, he's talking about our infirmities. He's talking about those physical things uh, that he was just talking about in the passage that, that come with being a part of this sin-cursed creation. We know how to pray in spiritual terms. Praying in the Spirit is for my conscious understanding to match as closely as possible what the Holy Spirit is praying silently, interceding in my heart. So that when I pray, uh, to the degree that my conscious prayer is matching what the Holy Spirit is interceding on my behalf, to the degree that those two things match, it is to that degree that I am praying in the Spirit. So, Regardless, if you're praying, the Holy Spirit is making intercession on your behalf. It may be completely different than what you're praying for, but that's just a fact of the mechanics of prayer. For us, a part of our spiritual growth is to bring our understanding in line with the will of God so that I pray with my understanding 
according to what the Holy Spirit is praying in those groanings that I can't hear. So Paul says, I want you to pray in the Spirit. Now look at 1 Corinthians 14. Not quick because I'm already over time. 1 Corinthians 14. We started a little late. I won't feel bad. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 14, Paul says, If I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, I will sing with the understanding also. Now I want you to see again the difference between those two verses, those two passages that we just looked at, Ephesians 6 and 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Ephesians 6 says to pray in the Spirit. Ephesians 14 talks about praying with the Spirit. The difference being that in Ephesians 6, when I pray in the Spirit, I pray watching thereunto. Now let me ask you something. How am I going to watch for something that I prayed for if I don't know what I prayed for? You can't. When Paul says, pray in the Spirit, watching thereunto, with all perseverance, he's talking about praying with your understanding, praying consciously, uh, according to the Spirit of God, and then look for the answer. Here, in 1 Corinthians 14, he's talking about praying in another tongue. And he says, when, and, and he calls it praying with the Spirit. That is not alongside the Spirit, but using the spiritual gift that's in him to pray in an unknown tongue. And when he does that, he says, I don't know what I'm saying. My understanding is unfruitful. I don't know what I just prayed. I can't watch for something that, to see if God's going to do it or not if I don't even know what I'm, what I'm looking for. So the idea of praying in the Spirit again, is something that's often confused with this idea of, uh, of speaking in tongues and praying in tongues. And praying in the Spirit has nothing to do with praying in tongues. Praying in the Spirit has to do with praying according to the will of God, according to that silent intercession that's happening uh, within you when you pray. As we grow and we come to more and more and clearer and clearer spiritual understanding, our prayer life ought to reflect that. And our conscious prayers, that is, our desires, come to more and more fully match the desire and plan and will of God. So that our prayers and our longings and our earnest expectations come more and more and more in line with what God is doing. So that... Ultimately, when I pray and the Holy Spirit makes intercession within me according to the will of God, those two prayers sound very similar. The Holy Spirit and me are praying for the same thing. Now I'm praying in the Spirit. So that's what we're looking for. Okay? Uh, and now how do I know that? How do I know if my prayers are matching the Holy Spirit? I can't hear those groanings because they can't be uttered. You know it because you've got a Bible. And you've got the Apostle Paul, who tells you, number one, tells you things to pray for specifically. So when you pray those things, you know you're praying according to the will of God. Number two, has uh, several recorded prayers of his own in his epistles. 
And in our prayer life, like in uh, all other things, Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And if you follow Paul in your prayer life, you see what he prayed for, and you pray according to that. That's how you can know. So we grow uh, in our prayer life in, in this way, and Paul says the Spirit helps our infirmities when we, as we do that. Um, now again, that doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is praying, you know, Father, deliver this person from this infirmity. It's again, we're saved by hope. doesn't mean that we escape the suffering. It means that our, that, our, that our spirit benefits from it. Though the outward man perishes, the inward man is renewed day by day. That's uh, a result of our prayer life also. So we know and we can pray in confidence that the Holy Spirit is making intercession for us um, as, as we come before the throne of God. We pray by grace like we do everything else. We'll pick it up from there next time. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord. We, we understand even now as we come before you in prayer that the Holy Spirit, uh, by your grace, prays on our behalf. And Lord, if we are inadequate in our prayers, we understand that we are inadequate in, uh, in many ways, but that you are our sufficiency that you are our perfection and that, uh, that that reality comes into effect in our prayer life as well as so many other areas of this Christian life that you've, that you've given us to walk. And Lord, you haven't left us out on our own when we think to come before you. But you even there, even in that, even in our access to you, you help and you come alongside and you intercede for us and you sanctify our offerings and we thank you Father for that all the perfection that is ours in Christ and it's in his name that we pray Amen